0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. I just want to say what uh, what a blast it is to teach from the Word of God. It's wonderful to be uh, together with friends, uh, family as a body of Christ today, learning about the Scriptures because it, it, it still blows my mind. It really does. Every time that I read the Scriptures, how much truth, and how much uh, pertinency, and how much uh, um, common themes weave throughout Scripture and meet us right where we are this morning, Sunday the 11th of October. I don't know why I'm always blown away, but every time I study a passage, even two verses, it was only two verses this week, and I thought, goodness, what are we going to learn here? So much, so much. So I'm very excited. um, And... Uh, As you can tell, I'm a very excitable person, but this is founded because it's about the Word of God. So um, today, uh, I just want to remind us too, before we start, each time I've preached um, throughout this series in Matthew, I've reminded us of some concurrent themes that go through all of the teachings of Jesus. And the first one is this, that Jesus is going above and beyond the rules and law of the day. He's going above and beyond. Second, Jesus is coming not only to heal the physical, but also to deal with the spiritual, deal with people's hearts, the physical realm, spiritual realm. Both of those are always in Jesus' teaching. And number three, Jesus is establishing his authority. Authority, authority, all over the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels. Jesus is establishing His authority as the Messiah, the Messiah who is God incarnate, coming to rule in the kingdom of God to fulfill three big roles, prophet, priest, and king. And he's coming to reign and rule over a kingdom that is marked by not rules, not regulations, but freedom and love. And if we can keep this grid before us, it's going to help us each time we open up the scriptures to study Je- something Jesus is teaching us. If we use this framework, it's, it's helpful to see how everything connects and it all does. Um, so let me pray for us and we will get started. Heavenly Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and to teach us and to open our hearts and expose the places that we need to be um, We need to be encouraged or we need to be um, filed down those rough areas. And I just pray that we would know more about you and then understand who we are in light of that so that we can leave here changed people. And we ask all these things in your name, amen. Okay, so let's get rolling. We have a lot to get to, uh, even in the two verses. So we're in Matthew 12, verses 43 through 45. This is Jesus teaching. These are his words, so let me read them for us today. He says... He's speaking to the the Pharisees here. He says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter the house and they dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Okay, so uh, when Daniel and I were looking at the sermon schedule here, we thought that, you know, with it being fall time and Halloween approaching, um, a sermon about exorcism and haunted houses and demons would be really appropriate. Um, I'm joking, that's not... (laughs) Not at all, it just happened. Um, but that's really the truth. I think so many times, at least, and in, in, I've been around the church since, since I could remember, and anytime we get to this passage, it's always a little weird, it's always a little odd. Um, and and, I, and I, for, I know for me, I've always kind of shied away a little bit from this passage because it's a little odd, okay? So when we are digging into what Jesus says, there'll be things that are, that are very much on the surface practical implications that we can learn, but each layer we dive deeper and deeper into what Jesus is saying, we can gain a wealth of knowledge from this text. So we're gonna go through three different layers of understanding this morning. The first one, we're just gonna look at practical truth, what this says practically to us that are helpful things that we can gain from this. Second, we're gonna look at the implications of Jesus' message to the Pharisees and what he's saying about their preparedness for him and then three, we're gonna look at ourselves, the layer of our culture and how we are very much swept clean, self-help uh, happy people. Um, so that's kind of the three layers. And our big idea this morning is this. The lies of the devil always perverts truth. They point the aim at ourselves and they twist God right out of the situation, leaving us ripe for attack. Okay, there's a lot there. We're gonna get through all of it. So let's get started with the practical truth of this text. Many times when this text is preached, it's seen as more of a practical, here's how we deal with oppression or um, possession or addiction, and then how do we recover and be successful coming out of a situation of oppression or addiction? Okay, if you've been around organizations like AA, or if you've been addicted yourself, or have known people that are addicted, it's kind of a universal truth, like across faith backgrounds, okay, that if you take something bad out of your life, if you take something negative out of your life, it would be probably important for you to add something back in that's actually positive. Okay, and there's a lot of organizations that will use this text as a guide to help just be a practical application on how if we release somebody from an evil spirit, if we release somebody in the name of Jesus from that evil spirit, or if we find somebody that's oppressed through addiction or whatever, we add in something positive in its place. Maybe you don't go to the same restaurants you went to before. Maybe you don't hang out with the same people you, you hang out with anymore. But as the church, as Christians, we would say... Join a church, know Jesus, be in a community of believers that will hold you accountable, that will love you and care for you. So that's the putting that positive thing back in its place. So this is universal, practical truth, amen, okay? Great stuff from Jesus. But because we have time to probe into this, we're gonna go much deeper, okay? But don't miss the fact that this is about the spiritual realm. This parable is about a demon. This parable is about how a person can be messed up and occupied by and and destroyed by the spiritual realm. As Daniel reminded us a couple weeks ago, okay, the devil uses the natural world to mess us up, to hurt us, to make us sick, to condemn us, okay? Just because you're sick doesn't mean you have an evil spirit, okay? Sometimes we get sick and we, are, we feel bad and we're depressed because we live in a broken world, okay? But we have to acknowledge, we cannot ignore the fact that the spiritual realm exists and the devil does use the spiritual realm to attack you and I as Christians and non-Christians. Okay? So let's be careful not to just pass by the spiritual implications of this text. Okay, so let's go down to that second layer and let's take a look at the theology of what Jesus is saying here and understand the metaphor for what it shares with us about the nation of Israel and the people that Jesus, the time and place Jesus was coming in to address. So we'll go through each part of the parable and understand what Jesus is poking at here. I found this fascinating it was really cool so i hope you do too so the person or home he kind of uses those interchangeably who is at the beginning of the parable um full of the unclean spirit okay he's 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 oppressed and possessed by this evil spirit jesus is talking about the nation of israel okay israel was a nation that was created chosen Uh, by God, to be set apart for him, to be holy, to be set apart, to be his light, and to be an example of how we live uh, with a holy God and commune together as as, as the church, okay? This was God's picture that he wanted to show through the nation of Israel. However, the nation of Israel was not faithful to God. We see this again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, that Israel was not Faithful to God. And they strayed and they introduced all sorts of foreign gods and idols in their lives. They were messed up with idolatry. So much so that it caused the great exile at the hand of the Babylonians. Babylonians came into the land of Israel, sacked Israel, destroyed the temple, and took everybody away. The temple, the place, the, 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 the... the icon, if you will, of the abiding presence of God with the people was destroyed. And they were taken away to a foreign land. Now you can read all about the Babylonian exile throughout the Old Testament, namely in the books of Daniel, Chronicles, and also the uh, minor prophets Ezra, Nehemiah, and Jeremiah speak a lot about this exile period, and you can check those out. Um, we don't have time to talk about them today, but you can check them out on your time on your free time. So, Israel is this guy that Jesus is talking about. So, next step down in the parable, okay, the demon comes back and he finds a clean house. It's swept, it's in order. Great, something changed. Okay? Israel, again, this is drawing attention to Israel. Israel repented of their sin. Israel recommitted their ways to the Lord. And around five to 400 B.C., there was this 100-year mass exodus back to, or return. Exodus, is that the right word? Well, they returned back to the land of Israel. They rebuilt the temple, and they established uh, a more strict order for how to teach the people how to remain faithful to God's word, and to essentially get things back in order. This is where sects like the Pharisees and the Sadducees come from, this period of wanting to recommit to the law and recommit to God. So the house was clean, they were back, they had their name back, they had their home back, so the stage was set. It was was teed up for who to come in? Jesus. But what happened? The story continues, doesn't it? Because they missed it. By and large, they missed it. The Messiah had come, ready, in a house that was clean and orderly and focused towards God again, recommitted, and Jesus comes. And something tragic happens, because the parable continues. The demon returns, finding the house, not guarded, comes back and invites seven of his friends who are more evil than him to dwell there again more fiercely than before. And this is the sad crux of Jesus' message to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees think they have it figured out, they think they have it all in control, but they're missing God's plan. They're missing it. Because they're depending on self-righteousness. They're focused on self-holiness. They're focused on outward appearances. Jesus calls the Pharisees what? He calls them whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. So the abiding spirit of God in Jesus Christ was here, ready to fill people's hearts. And yet he was missed because of the surfacy, outward righteousness that was so consuming the pharisees and the people of the day now i hope you see how this kind of fits into the larger biblical story arc right everything begins god creates man falls to sin in the garden but god remains faithful to man even though man continues the rebellion so god had to send jesus to turn our eyes back to Him to forgive us and to make a way for us. He's, he's, he's built this beautiful rescue mission. And here He is, the Jesus that is here to take the sin away from us and to occupy our hearts. He's staring in the face of the Pharisees, looking at them, and He's saying, You're missing me. And it's tragic reading this. Two verses. But it's tragic to think of the Pharisees who were so consumed with the letter of the law that they're missing the spirit of why Jesus came in the first place and why the law existed, just to turn our eyes to Jesus. It almost seems as though Jesus is, is, is inferring that um, it would have been better for the Israelites to stay in exile. And to stay away from home and to be uncomfortable and, and have their lives feel like a mess and not have an identity and as long as they had Jesus they would have been vastly better than them coming home regaining their safety regaining their regaining their home regaining their temple etc cetera, etc cetera, but missing the whole point of it all do you see this here the spirits come back and they're worse than before Friends, don't ever gloss over what Jesus is saying, ever. Because there's so much depth and truth, even in a single verse, even in two verses. So another power of the the Holy Spirit that works through the scriptures is that it can point to our lives. It can be pertinent to us wherever we are today in our walks. So we're going to go to our third layer. We're going to go a layer deeper and take a look at what this is saying to us. And I'm going to focus on one, uh, one uh, aspect of this parable, and that's the that's the aspect of the parable of, of of finding the house clean and swept and orderly, because it's it's a it's a it's a it's an insanely uh, uh, parallel. Um, Example of the the Jewish culture of the day and our culture today. Because we too live in a culture that's largely obsessed with appearance. We live in a culture that's obsessed with wanting to be right and living our own truth and our own story. We have multi-billion dollar industries in our country that are catered to self-help. And that make people like you and i look good and feel good and have success in this life now hear me being a good steward of your time being organized managing your money well are all things that we can actually honor god with stewarding our lives well however the devil can use this in to infiltrate into those places. Okay, the devil uses, and he's been doing it since since all the way back here in Genesis. He's been doing it the whole time. He will use something that is good, that is meant for our good, and he will use that crack to come in and will twist God out of that crack and make us point the finger at ourselves and turn our eyes away from God. So here's the lie that we're led to believe in today's culture, particularly. The lie is this your life is about being happy and feeling good, and you are ultimately in charge of determining your own success. Does it kind of sound familiar to anybody? I mean, this is a message we were inundated with. But the sin here, so that's the lie, the sin here is self righteousness. We see how it blinded the Pharisees in today's parable, but let's take some time to see how it potentially blinds us today. Now, being self righteous is kind of like lighting a match. You're in charge of striking it, and you get heat and you get light, but for a very short amount of time until it blows out or it burns you. It does not last. Paul says this about being self-righteous in Romans chapter 10. He says this, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So that would mean that they rejected God's righteousness and looked for it in themselves. Now when we say yes to something, when we submit to something, that means that we have to reject something else. My good friend Pastor Paul Gordon says that to me all the time. Matt, if you're saying yes to something, you have to say no to something. So saying yes to ourselves means that we're saying no to God. And as Jesus warns us today, that is dangerous. So we're going to talk about some concrete examples today about where we see that, where we see this kind of obsessive self-help campaign and empire in our current culture today a a culture that pursues and promotes self-righteousness and because we have lives that we live so openly and so connected there is such uh, there is such a pull and a desire um, and, and a temptation to show people that you have it all together that you can be the best you can be and it compounds the lie that i said just a few minutes ago which is Life is about being happy and feeling good and that you are in charge of your own success. That is the lie. So who are some of these people in our culture? Now, I don't mean animus towards these people. This is not a bashing session. And this is not a bashing session to those of you who may have heard from some of these people, but it's a warning to be careful because it's not godly. It appears so, but it is not. Some of you are aware of supermom blogger, best-selling author, Rachel Hollis, whose books have sold millions of copies, and whose Twitter feed, Instagram page, Pinterest page, et cetera, et cetera, get millions of views. Some of you know about self-help phenom Tony Robbins, popular guy who gets an average of one million hits on his website per week. Uh, I'm sorry, per month, and who, whose sold-out stadium events like uh, Unleash the Power and Date with Destiny are sold out for the low, low price of between two and $5,000, depending on where you'd like to sit. And there are VIP packages, too. Um, these are just two folks. There's hundreds of these people, but I wanted to look at two folks to use them as an example. And I wanted to take a look at how them being kings and queens of this empire has infiltrated our own and has made made us pursue the wrong things. Now, I would be lying if I didn't say that I thought that these people have some decent things to say. Many of you may have read their books or taken a look at what they have to say. And these individuals seek to encourage. They seek to empower. But who is the focus? You and I, not God. So be careful. The themes of their talks and their books even contain biblical messages like love and acceptance and hard work and faith and truth. And to an untrained eye, they can even appear to be a Christian message but that's what's so dangerous. Remember, this is how the devil deceives us. He uses things that appear to be good and godly, and he uses that crack to get in, and he twists God out of it, and he points the finger at ourselves. And what their messages really boil down to is that you are in control. You can do it. You're a rock star. You deserve it. Now, I spent the better part of a week Reading their material, watching seminars, and others too—blogs and, and different things—that I was made aware of. And man, what is what's being said is like it's energizing. It's like yeah. And these are why uh, why these I'll call them wolves among sheep. That is why they're why the way they prey on us is so effective. It's because when we hit rock bottom, when we feel like a mess, when we feel like we're spiraling out of control, there's plenty of these gurus that will tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and to go forward and you can do it. So here's a couple quotes. In case you didn't, in case you thought, oh Matt, you you don't really understand this totally, and, and maybe, I, maybe I haven't spent enough time reading Girl, Wash, Wash Your Face, but I read a bunch of it. And here are some quotes that are alarming to me as your pastor and shepherd. Listen. Miss Hollis says, you are meant to be the hero of your own story. You and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. It's quite a lot of pressure, isn't it? You should be the very first of your priorities. Tony Robbins says this, this is my favorite. Success is doing what you want to do, when you want, where you want, with whom you want, as much as you want. Woohoo! <laughs> right? Leon Bridges' song, if it feels good, it must be good. Do it, right? Here's another one. We can change our lives. We can do, have, and be exactly what we wish. I really wanted to be an astronaut, but that wasn't in the cards for me. Um, Here's another one. Take the opportunity to learn from your mistakes. Find the cause of your problem and eliminate it. No sweat. Don't try to be perfect. Just try to be an excellent example of being human. This is the message being carried to vulnerable people that are looking for truth, that are looking for success, that are looking for growth in their lives. These are not even quotes that I cherry-picked from a Christian article talking against these people. These are are well-known quotes of these people and well-known message. What they're doing is they're building up Your authority on your throne in your kingdom. And Jesus came to topple our kingdoms. He came to establish his reign as the king in the kingdom of God and wants to cast us off our throne so that we will submit to a good God. One that is not sinful, one that is not waywardly. One that's full of love. Our kingdoms, and our kingdoms we appear to be in charge, but we're really just puppets for the sin that ultimately rules us and will destroy us. Friends, we are not meant to be our own God. We were created for a much greater purpose. We were created to worship and to live for the one and only God and to make much of him because he is holy and we are not. So when your kingdoms are toppled because of hurt, because of, um, b- because of sickness, because of feeling helpless, because of depression and anxiety in your life, like I said, there'll be these gurus coming in to try to tell you that you can do it. But that's not the story of the gospel. And amen to the fact that there's a God that can help us, that can um, be our identity, that can save us, that can give us a real meaningful life. That's eternal. That's not temporal. Be careful. Do not be led astray, church. As your pastor and your brother and your friend. Again, this isn't a bashing session. This is to point us to truth and to remind us that there are people out there that want to hurt you and they think they're doing the right thing. what these people are ultimately selling is self-righteousness. And if that's a lie, if that's a sin, then what is the truth? The truth is this, that when your life is about living for Jesus, being successful doesn't mean getting all what I want, but doing what God wants for me, which is better, and will bring happiness and joy and um, steadfastness in your life. Amen? And that's how the Holy Spirit works. Something that we didn't want to do before when we were in sin, when God changes us, we suddenly have a desire for something new and something different and something better if it comes from God. Don't take, it, don't take my word for it. Hear the words of Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, seek first the what? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you see how as a culture we've flipped that around? Where we've gone out seeking for all the things... And we put Jesus in our pocket along for the ride. And when we don't get the things that we want, we take Jesus out and we say, can you help me get what I want? And then we get what you want and we put him back in our pockets. We put him in the glove box until we're ready for him again. That is not how to live for Jesus, friends. I'm guilty of that. God, please just give me what I want. Answer this prayer. But the gospel teaches that we cannot make our sin better. We can't be a better version of a broken self, of a broken sinful person. We can't just be a better version of that. And these self-help gurus are actually building up the one thing that's killing you, and that's your sin. It's saying, make it better. Do something better. Feed it more. Feed it, feed it, feed it, feed it. It's killing us. It's killing our culture. Jesus calls, tells us to call upon him, to make him our identity, to be made a new creation, to be transformed. And this is nothing that we can strive for. It's nothing we can white knuckle, it's nothing we can earn. First Corinthians 1, 28 through 31 says, it's just such an amazing text, listen to this. God chose, what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. So friends, if you are striving to fix your life, if you are striving to appear polished and clean, be warned that the world wants to occupy that space. The devil will try to attack you at your weakness and get a a sliver in so that he can occupy that space. Jesus wants to make you a son and daughter of the King. Jesus wants to be your identity, wants to be your strength, wants to be your holiness, wants to be your righteousness. He will justify you and he will save you with his mercy and grace. This is good news. Not that you can pull yourself up and make some money and clean your house and wash your face and make a great dinner for your kids. It's the fact that Jesus loved you and I enough to sacrifice himself, to turn us, to come and chase after us. When we were chasing these other things, he chased after us. Titus three five seven says this much better than I ever could. It says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow. Friends, this is the only self-help that we need. And it's the only self-help that we can depend on. It's Jesus. So now, as the body of Christ, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ today, we're actually going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us by taking communion. And the reason we do that each week is because the more often that we re-engage with this insane truth that Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf to make us his own children and to imprint his name and his identity on us and that we can live as holy and blameless people because of Jesus? That's truth today, friends. And if you've accepted that, if that's you, we're going to celebrate that together. You should have your, your communion cups, and I will say, uh, as a side, I, I hate to break the energy here, but um, the top, the very, they're, they're new in the very top layer, it's the cellophane layer. Take that one off first, that's your wafer. And then the more plasticky one, if you rip that one, then you can get to the juice. But the bread, um, that's, uh, the, the bread that represents Jesus' body was broken for you. The juice which represents his blood was poured out for you so that through his blood you would be justified and holy and without reproach in front of a holy God. So we get to celebrate that. We get to interact with that again this morning. So we're going to take the the song, Rock of Ages. It says, my favorite verse of the hymn says, Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So we're going to take this song. Take as much time as you need, and you can take the elements whenever you feel ready to do that. But there's going to be a song for us to just Get our hearts ready um, and and ready to accept and interact again with amazing grace of our God. Let me pray for us, Father. Help us not to believe lies. I pray that the truth uh, uh, of your of of your insane grace would be seen as more beautiful and more um, just relevant to us than ever before. And I pray that you would help us um, be able to sift through all of the media and all the things we get from this world, and that we would land on truth, we would land on your scripture, that we would be a body of people that point others to truth, and that help rescue those that are going wayward, following messages that will not bring life, they will bring death. Lord, we pray that your word and your truth and your Holy Spirit would move through us in a powerful way that we would see Jesus more beautiful than ever before. And that the world might see that through us as we bring that message and we bring about this campaign of restoration for the world that is the kingdom of God. That is a high calling, Lord. Help us. It's in all all these things I pray in your name. Amen.